here. I'm going to continue with John, John 5. Dennis spoke last week about the man by the pool that got healed. This is a continuation of that. Now, up until this point, you see this man, Jesus. And I'm trying to set the tone. Dennis does a great job of just setting the tone of like, if you grew up in the church and you've been around church your whole life, you tend to have this idea of who Jesus was. And for me, it's been hard to think of him as just some guy hanging out with a bunch of people in the Bible times. You know, so in my mind, for whatever reason, when I think of Jesus talking to them, he's like kind of floating around like an angel, right? And you forget that he was just like this ordinary guy with this extreme power and this authority they spoke with. But he didn't look any different than everybody else, other than the piercing blue eyes. Okay, he, he didn't he didn't look any different than anybody else. Right. And, and it's hard to think of him in that context because we, we you know, we're spiritual people. And so you got to think, you know, every time you say Jesus, there has to be, the, oh, you know, that whole thing going on. But he was just this guy that showed up on the scene and the Jews and the religious leaders of the day. They're they're just doing their thing. They're they're trying to to practice the law. And they add a few more on for themselves just to be that much holier. And then Jesus comes along. He starts healing on the Sabbath. and He starts messing everything up. Just like that. No. Um, <laughs> he starts messing everything up. And and now the Jews are like, we don't like this guy. He's not like us. He seems to have this weird ability just to heal people whenever he feels like it. And he does everything contrary to what we do. We hate him. Right? And so and and, and so they're, they're going through this whole thing. And it's easy for us to look at the Jews and look at the religious people and be like, what morons? Like, how dumb can they be? But think about it. If we were there... And, you know, we have the, see, we have the New Testament. They didn't actually have that, in case you didn't know that, all right? Um, they didn't have that part, okay? They just knew that one day this guy's going to come along, be in the Messiah, and, and think of it. I mean, just Messiah. You're thinking, it's going to be like this grandiose thing. Like, he's coming on the spot, and you're going to know exactly who he is. And so they're waiting for the Messiah to come, and Jesus is like, hello, that's me. And we look at the Jews and the religious leaders, and we're like, how dumb can they be? He's standing right there before them. But for us, if the Messiah has not yet come, and he walked into this building today, how many of us would, like, throw him out on the street when some guy walks in? He'd be like, hey, I'm the son of God. Okay, weirdo, you sit in the back. You know, like, right? I mean, honestly, we... we so. I get like that. I'm like, man, you guys are dumb. This guy's doing miracles and he's talking. But for years, cultural, you know, their culture is set in, the traditions have set in, and this guy, this ordinary guy that was a carpenter, just shows up and he's just like, okay, we're just going to kind of mess all that up on you and I'm going to start healing on the Sabbath and I'm going to talk pretty much against everything that you say. Oh, by the way, I'm the Son of God. Oh, okay. Like, do you understand how hard and difficult it is for them to believe that? So, like, we can't, like, pass judgment on them thinking, well, what morons? You know, if they would read in John, you know, it didn't happen at that time, okay? And so we're going to continue this whole thing. So Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. This man's kind of, you know, running around. He was a cripple. And they're like, who healed you? And they told him Jesus. And they confront Jesus now. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 16, chapter 5. Everybody there? So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus said, 
gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show them even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So let's break this down a little bit. Okay, I'm going to read a quote from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. A lot of you guys have probably read it. If you haven't read it, you probably heard the whole argument, the whole Lord, liar, lunatic thing about Jesus being the Son of God. And C.S. Lewis, he says this, Many people say about him, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him the Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not, attend to, he did not intend to. So he's saying here, and, and a lot of us do it, and a lot of people do it. You know, you talk about God, or you talk about Jesus with people, and, and they're obviously not following God in any way, but they're like, yeah, I believe Jesus. I, you know, I believe Jesus. And, and here C.S. Lewis is saying, listen, he either was this amazing person, this son, the son of God, or he was as crazy as the guy that says he's a poached egg. Now, if you run into anybody that says that, just leave them and don't talk to them, okay? But, and, and so the question is, is, is what are we doing with that? What, we, it can't be both. It can't be Jesus, oh, he was a good moral teacher. As some religions even believe, they believe in Jesus. They believe he was a good teacher. They just don't believe he was the son of God. But how crazy is that? Because how could you be a good moral teacher if you claim to be the son of God and you're not? That makes you a liar or some crazy man. If I stood up here and said I was the son of God, I, somebody would take me out. Like, I would be done, right? And we'd, take, we'd bring back stoning, you know? And, and so the question is, is what, what have we done with it? And what have, what have the people in the Bible have done with it? So you see Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And now here's his great explanation, okay? He's, where is it? I know I had it here somewhere. Oh, yeah, this is one of the greatest Christological discourses in Scripture. This is where Jesus is actually going to come out and say he is the Son of God and he is God. Okay. Now, we're not going to get into the whole Trinity thing today. We're going to leave that up to Dennis, okay? Because he's much smarter than I am and I don't want all the emails that Dennis will get. Okay? Like, briefly touched on it. You ever think about the Trinity so much it just spins your head and you just, like, now you don't know what you believe anymore? All right? So, and I was talking to a friend of mine this week about it. Like, you know, I, I believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Totally believe it. But like how it works and how it fits together, I, I rack my brain and I sit there and I think it and I'm like, I need a fried Oreo. Like, you know, you need something else, right? So we're not going to go there with that, okay? And if anybody can explain it thoroughly, um, God bless you. You're amazing. But um, we're not going to go there on this. So not only did Jesus violate the oral law, okay, the, the working on the Sabbath thing, the healing on the Sabbath thing, them getting upset about that was not actually the law, okay? It, it, there was not, 
there is nothing against the law about doing good. I mean, was it actually work for Jesus to be like, hey, pick up your mat and go? I mean, seriously, was that work? It wasn't work for Jesus. He was like, I right, go do that. And, and it happened. But it was these, this cultural and, and, and man's traditions that now he is coming against. And I think Dennis talked about it a little bit last week. What traditions have we brought up in our lives? What, what things does, do Christians have to do to be Christians that really are not even biblical by any means? They're not, they're not sinful, but they're not the biblical sense. Like how you're dressed for church. All right. Obviously, I do not look like a pastor. I was once again um, talking to... This is great material this morning, and I didn't even plan on it. Dunkin' Donuts talking to this guy from Faith Living that I know. He works there full time. And, and we're talking outside. We're talking, hey, how things going? What's going on? And this lady next to us was, was just smoking. And all of a sudden, she goes, do you go to that church right there? And uh, Don was like, yes, I do. And she goes, is it a fun church? And I don't know. Okay, I guess church can be fun. But... He goes, it actually is. We're pretty laid back. And she goes, I can tell you're laid back by the way you're dressed. He had cargo shorts on and just a white T-shirt. All right? And he was one of the employees there. And she was just shocked that he worked there. Now, many people would not be able to attend a church that the staff looks like that. And or the way Dennis or anybody else up here dresses. But, like, that is a, a traditional thing. That is, like, cultural, especially in the Northeast. Like, we are so, like in tradition of how people are supposed to dress for church. Now, I, granted, I know you should be respectful when you're in a church, okay? Um, but at the same time, is that should not be the whole thing. And Don was like, well, you know, the pastor, and he goes, he looks like him, me. And, and she's like, that's interesting. And then, you know, she was like, you know, I'm going to check that church out today because she was just having a donut, and now she's going to church, you know? But we're so steep in tradition that there are people that cannot come to a church like this because of what the pastor looks like. My brother was talking to a, uh, he's talking to this girl, maybe it's his new girlfriend, I don't know. Um, but uh, he told her, you know, he's like, you know, my brother, it's funny, I used to be a pastor, I'm not anymore. But he's like, he's, I am, but he's like, he used to be a pastor and preaching. She's like, really? And she goes, oh, how does he feel about my tattoos? <laughs> like, like, she thought pastor tattoos. You know, I'm like, have you seen Dennis? <laughs> like, you know, have you, you know, and he's like, well, Mariah has one too, you know, and it's like, not a big deal. And then she's like, you know, now she's thinking, oh, I drink, you know, and like, like we have this idea what, what church people are supposed to be. That was never here. And that was what Jesus was coming against. And he used the opportunity not only to come against it just to shake everything up, but to reiterate the fact that he is God on earth. Are you with me today? So think about it. What are, what are the things that, that hang us up? What are some things that, for you personally, you don't have to yell it out. Um, I don't want to point and laugh. But, but like, what are, what are some of the things that, that we're just like, you know what, the pastor is supposed to look like this. The church is supposed to have a, you know, a steeple and not be a barnyard thing, you know, a farm thing. You know, what are, what are some of the things that, that we get hung up on that was never meant to be, and yet we look at the Jews of the day and we're like, how stupid are they? Like, I can't believe that they're so wrapped up in that, you know. Are you, do you absolutely have to go to church 52 weeks a year? For some people, that, that's like, you absolutely have to do that. I, I've missed church every now and then, you know. And, but for a while, we would never miss church. So there's, there's five things, five claims that Jesus makes in his equality with God. All right, and we're going we're gonna to walk through those and... And see what's going on. I actually have a printer now, so I was able to print things out. I'm pretty excited about that. But, um, so first one is this. 
Jesus claims he is equal with God in his person. Verse 17 and 18. Let's look at it real quick. It says, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling him God his own father and making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. So Jesus is saying, listen, God is my father. And everything I see him do, I do. And whatever God does, I do also. He's making himself. He's saying, I am the son of God. I am God. I have equal authority that God has. So up until this point, once again, the Jews were, were worshiping God. And so I think they probably have this issue of the whole monotheism because now they're like, well, if there's God and you say you're God, how is this working out? And, and, and all the more they want to kill him because he said, I'm equal with God. And he's starting to show more of who he is. But he, you know, for them, he crossed the line. For them, it was like, all right, not only are you healing on the Sabbath, and I think there was a little jealousy with that whole thing because they can't do it, but now you just called yourself equal with God. Verse uh, 19, 20, he says, he's equal with God in his works. I just read 19. Jesus and God are doing the same works. He's saying, listen, I can do, I can do whatever God can do, I can do, but not better. Um, and so he's saying, I can do those things. It, it, to them, it's heresy at this point. To them, it is all out craziness going on here. Number three, he's saying he's equal with God in his power and sovereignty. Verse 21. It says, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So he's saying, not only does God give life, I can do that too. And he, he has empowered me to do that. You understand how this is like just radically like impacting the people standing there before them? Like, I, I don't think we totally understand, as I was reading it this week and, and, and trying to understand it, I can only imagine what it would be like if somebody said that to us. Like, Obviously, we know the Messiah has come, but, but if, if somebody stood here and said, well, whatever God does, I can do, and, and if he gives life, I can give life, and you're like, do you understand why they wanted to kill him? Like, I think we would be leading the charge, too, because it was just that crazy. They do. Uh, verse 4, I mean, uh, point number 4, he's equal with God in his judgment. Verse 22. Where is it? Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So he's saying, not only did, can I judge, but he's saying, God entrusted the judgment to me. So now it's only getting that much further. He's like, okay, you know, I see what God does. He's my Father. All right, they're getting all upset about that. But I'm on equal path with God, the sovereignty and the power of God. It's happening. And now God has given me the power to judge. It's just getting that much worse. And I think the, the fifth one here is, is, is the kicker. This is the one that would make them want to kill him more than ever before is he's equal to God in his honor. Verse 23. He turns it around when he's speaking to them and he says this. I'm always looking at the wrong one. That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. So right there he's just saying, listen, you should honor me. Now you got this guy standing there. You should honor me as you honor God. Crazy enough. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So now he's saying, not only should you honor me, if you do not honor me, this guy standing before you, the carpenter that you all know, if you do not honor me, you dishonor God. 
These religious people that pride themselves in honoring God in every way they can, by not doing the craziest things as, as even spitting on the Sabbath, they're, they're so all about honoring God and living for God and doing the right thing before God. And here Jesus turns the tables on them and saying, listen, you're accusing me of violating the Sabbath, of violating God's law, when in fact, if you do not honor me, you do not honor God, and everything you're doing is just worthless. Now that would upset anybody at that point, because now it's like... Everything that they lived for and everything that they, 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 they were so crazy about honoring and, and following after God. They were so hard on that. And now he's saying, if you don't honor me, this guy standing before you, you're not honoring God. Is that, is that making sense? Absolutely crazy. And like I started in the beginning, they had a decision to make at that point. They had this decision that, is, is this the son of God? Is, is this really the Messiah that we've been waiting for? Because the Jews thought the Messiah was going to be the one coming as more of a political guy, more as a, as a let's, you know, defeat everybody else, and the Jews are going to reign supreme, and, and, and it's, going to, it's going to help out. But here it was just this, this carpenter that's just kind of walking around talking about God and had this authority. And they had to make the decision, like, is he Lord? Or is he just some crazy man? But then where's that whole power of healing come along? And, and the Bible shows quite a bit when Jesus spoke, he had this authority. Like, where did that come from? And, and I think they were just so blinded with rage that obviously they did not take him as, the, the, you know, as God. And Jesus was saying he's not just some ambassador representing God, but he was God incarnate. He was a God here in the flesh. And he has the authority, as I said, to judge people and, and to do. Like, God just gave it to him. But yet he's still God. Is, is that making sense on that? If that was, I think 23 was, was the kicker for them. 23 was, was it. Because he's saying, you, you come against me, you're messing with God. And so you've got to have this thought process of, of what's happening there. And then he goes on to verse 24. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It will not be judged, but has crossed over from life to death. He's saying, listen, this is what salvation is. Believing in me, believing that God sent me here. That's where your redemption comes from. That's where your salvation comes from. Not from doing the right thing on the Sabbath. Not from all the, the, the religious laws, not from all that. And, and they misunderstood the whole law thing. The, God gave the law to show our, our shortcomings, to show that we're unable to save ourselves. We're unable to keep the law. Anybody keep even a few of the commandments entirely? Right? We're, we're unable to, to keep the law. And so the law was to show our need for a savior. But the pride of the time was, you know what? I'm going to hit every one of those. I'm going to, I'm going to just get those. And, they added a few more on just to make sure. And now he's saying, listen, this is how salvation is going to come. This is how your connection with God's going to come. It's from believing the words that I'm saying, believing that God sent me. And then in the end, we know that Christ dies on the cross for our sin. He's totally changing everything with them. He's saying, listen, it's not religious practice that brought salvation, but it's, it's him. Turn with me to Romans 8. You guys with me? You guys are thinking about that donut sandwich, aren't you? Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> it does to me. I'm going to get a dozen and see. Um, 
<laughs> Romans 8 1. <laughs> My wife's like, No, you're not. She said, We're not going to the fair because I eat too much. Romans 8 1 says this, Therefore, most of us know this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did, send, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might fully be met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So it's saying, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. But he's also saying the law was imperfect. The law, it didn't do what it could do because of our sinful nature. Nobody could meet the requirements of the law. And so for us to have salvation, for us to be united with God again, Christ had to come. And he came more than just to talk to people about God. Like in the end, he came to die for our sin. Because the the Bible also says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. As we know with Adam and Eve, when there was sin, blood was shed. And in the Jewish culture and in the law, you know, with sin came sacrifice. Animals paid the price until the true lamb of God came, and that was Jesus. And so he's saying, listen, justification comes by faith alone on the basis of God's overwhelming grace. That's how justification comes. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We cannot just make it happen. But they were trying to do it back in the day, and I think that's what made them so angry. Because how many people just want to do things on their own? How many people just like, you know, you don't want anybody to tell you how to do something. You just want to do it. You may be doing it wrong. Someone's like, no, no, try this. And you might try it and you get it right, but you're still a little angry that somebody stepped in and did it. Anybody? I try doing it to my wife all the time. She's like, oh, where's this? And I'm like, she's like, well, let me do it. Just show me. But I'm the one just wanting to get in there and fix it. Any fixers here? Anybody just want to fix things all the time? Right? And so I think that was like the culture of the day was like the good thing about the law and the good thing with other religions sometimes is that you have control over your salvation. You just do the right thing all the time. And when you mess up, you take out a bowl and you're fine. All right? And here we have to rely on somebody else. Here we have to rely on, you know what? I'm imperfect. I can't do it. Christ came to die. And sometimes salvation is just too easy. Because it's by faith. And I'm understanding this more and more and more as I've not been in full-time ministry. Because when you're in full-time ministry, it's so easy to to just kind of confuse your relationship with God with ministry. Because I worked for God all the time. Mariah and I, that's all we did. And so it's like, well, if anybody's saved, it's definitely us. Because we're working all the time for God. And so you take away ministry, and now you're like, God hates me. You know, you're like, you take away the ministry and we're sitting around and we're usually sitting in the back coming in late. And and it's kind of like, but I'm learning that it's okay not to be late, but it's okay not to do the ministry thing 24 seven because it's not contingent upon my salvation on what I do. I also know that I, I mess up at times and God's not going to kill me for that. You, You repent, you move on. It's okay. How many of us beat ourselves up every time we mess up? And it's like, you know, you forget. You think that, like, God stopped loving you. All right, God. Or, or oh, my goodness, you know. I used to, when I was in high school, oh, I was going to ask the question, but I better not. There's probably people here that your parents probably make you come to church or a spouse makes you. That was me growing up. My parents made me go to church, and I would sleep half the time. But if I did something that I thought was against God when I was younger... I prayed a sinner's prayer every night before I went to bed, just in case I didn't wake up. I kid you not. I'm like, God, forgive me for saying that or thinking that I won't do it tomorrow. Like, like I saved myself again, right? And, 
Anybody else, or am I the only one that has done that? I, when I was a teenager, I said the sinner's prayer every, I kid you not, every night. I'm like, God, uh, I know I was bad today. Um, if I die in my sleep, <laughs> I want to be with you. And I was just so afraid of messing up and doing the wrong thing. Um, I don't know why. Just maybe it was my childhood. No idea. Um, but I'm learning more like it's, my salvation is not contingent upon me. But because of growing in God, I'm totally off on a tangent here. Hopefully you're with me. But because growing in God, like there's nothing I have to do. But because of my loving relationship with God, I just do those things. Does that make sense? So there's no like rules. Does that make sense? There's no rules to it. It's kind of like being married. I always love to like in a relationship with God to being married. Okay, I, I pledged my love to Mariah when we were 10. All right, we've been together ever since. <laughs> Not quite that young, but very young. And, and there's rules of marriage, right? There's these rules that she doesn't have to remind me of. Like, I probably shouldn't cheat on her, right? And nobody has to tell me that. And I don't think that's like Mariah restricting my freedom, right? I'm not like, oh, she doesn't let me do anything, you know? <laughs> it's, right? It's not like that by any means. And it's like that when serving God. God's not like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But because out of your loving relationship with God, you just don't do the things that you know make him upset. Does that make sense? And, and it's like that, you know. There's just some things you don't do in your marriage if you want a happy, close marriage. If you like the couch, do what you want, okay? But, sorry, I'm totally off here. But justification comes through Christ and Christ alone. And that's where he's getting in on this with the Jewish leaders of the day. Turn with me to uh, Galatians 1, 13. I'm sorry, what did I say? I meant Colossians. I knew I got the wrong one. General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Sorry, that's how I have to remember it. 113 says this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And we saw that Jesus said, you know, actually another scripture, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he's saying, listen, I am in human form what the invisible God is. Sorry, for in him all things were created, things in heaven... And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fulfillment dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, and that word redemption in the beginning, in the Greek, it comes across, it says to deliver by payment of ransom and was used, and they use this word for the, like, the freeing of the slaves in bondage. So, some, you know, sometimes people would buy, would pay for slaves to be free. And so there was this, this redemption. And that's how it was for us. We're, it, Colossians talks about us being in one kingdom and then moving into the other. So you're part of two kingdoms. So if you're here this morning, you're part of two kingdoms. You're part of like, you know, it sounds really bad, uh, Satan's kingdom. Okay, so you're, you're either in God's kingdom and, and drawn close to God or you're not. And the other not part is not God. And that means Satan, right? And so he's kind of ruling your life and, and wreaking havoc and doing all that stuff to you, right? 
And, and he's saying, listen, Christ came to shed his blood so that he can move you from one ruler, one king, to the next. And being him. And it was through the redemption of his blood dying on the cross. Are you with me on that? So, the question is, and I started it a little earlier, is this. Well, actually, let me start it this way. History shows us that there was a man named Jesus. There's no doubt about that. Okay? So, people are like, I don't believe there was a Jesus. They're just dumb. Okay? There was a Jesus. Okay? It, it happened. It's, there was, you know, there was an Abraham Lincoln. There was a George Washington. There was a Jesus. There hit historical figures. Whether or not he was the son of God, irrelevant at this point. But there was, there was a man named Jesus. And there was a man named Jesus that walked around saying he was the son of God. As crazy as it may sound. And the question is, is was he really the son of God or was he not? Now, so many times when we present the gospel to people, they, they get hung up on things. They get hung up on, well, if there's a God, why is there such bad things in the world? And maybe you're sitting here and you're asking that question. Call Dennis and ask him. He has all the answers, okay? Um, all right. If, if there is, you know, if there's a God, why this? You know, if there's a God, you know, why is there only one way to God? Why is there, you know, and we have all these whys, these questions. But the only question we absolutely have to answer was, was Jesus Christ the Son of God? If he is the Son of God then everything else just is, right? And, and, you know, if, if I was God, you guys would all be in trouble, but if I was God and I said something, that's just the way it is. It doesn't have to make sense to you by any means. It just does, kind of like my dad, right? When he said to do something and I questioned it, it was bad for me, right? It was just because I'm the father, that's why. And sometimes there's some things in the Bible that, that you just got to take by faith. And I know that sounds like the stupid Christian answer because we don't know the answer, but there's some spiritual things that we just cannot grasp. Right? There, there's bad in the world. And that's because sin entered the world. All right? And there's solid evidence that shows that God kind of like... World, and God kind of lifted his hand off of it. And, and he's just like, if you want me, come to me. And I'm going to show you my love. But God's not in full and complete control of the world. And now some people are just like, oh! But because if he was, where would all the sin and chaos be? He can't dwell in that. right? And he can't be part of that. And so... So here's the answer, the question you have to answer. And now listen, you, may, you might have been coming to church your whole life. And there's, there's a lot of lifers. I'm, I'm one of them. You might be here because your parents make you. You might be here because a spouse makes you. Or you're afraid of dying and going to hell, so you just go to church. But the question is, what do you do with Jesus? What, is, is he Lord and the Son of God? Or is he just some crazy liar and lunatic? And if you're sitting here thinking, I think he's just some crazy lunatic, then you were dismissed. You can go home. There's no point of you being here, right? But you have to answer that question. And it all, and it's not even a sermon we can get into now, but it all goes around the resurrection of Christ. Because anybody can claim to be the son of God. Okay, I'm the son of God. You can do that, okay? And anybody can die on the cross. You know, Jesus wasn't the only one that died on the cross. We understand that, right? It wasn't like this special cross made just for Jesus. Okay, that was just the way people died back then. They put people to death that way. So the two guys next to Jesus, they died. The question was, is did he rise from the dead? And if he did, all the other stuff just falls into place. So when you start asking questions, I would ask questions, but when you don't know the answer and and you're stuck on it, that goes back to, is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Yes or no? Yes, he is. Then I'm just going to have to go on this one. I'm just going to have to, you know, trust that God's in control and I'm going to go on that. Does that make sense? Because there are just some things 
we don't understand as much as I would like to. So the question is, is, is he Lord of your life? Now, before you say yes, absolutely, think about it. Think about it. Is he absolute Lord of your life? Are you living for God or are you living for yourself? And by living for yourself, you include God. Sometimes we go to church for us because we feel better. I said those prayers at night because I felt better if I died in my sleep. I might make it to heaven. All right? Or did we... Is this making sense? Is he Lord of your life? And then the next question that happens is, is if he's Lord of our lives, then what are we doing with that? Now, I said earlier, you don't have to be in ministry 24-7 to be saved. But there should be this amazing impact that God has on our life if he, we chose, if we ask him, if we choose him as being our Lord. And, you know, it kind of threw us off. How many people, that statistic with the diarrhea thing Dennis talked about last week, did anybody go home and actually think about that? Mariah and I had a whole conversation about that. Like, it is amazing that people are dying like that. And yet, what are we doing about it? Nothing. Um, I'll just answer that question. And, and Mariah was feeling more so than I that, like, we need to do something. Like, we absolutely need to do something for people. And I think the mark of a Christian is somebody that doesn't live for themselves anymore, but puts others first, puts God first. And if that means, that means your time, as much as I was fighting with people today saying I'm very selfish of my time, um, you know, after being in ministry for a long time, it's hard to give up and commit to week, to days. It, it, I have a free schedule and I actually like it, but now I'm kind of struggling with all that. But your time, your energy, your money, right? I heard a pastor say, um, it's a pastor that Dennis and I listen to quite often, uh, Matt Chandler, is, is he believes that living above your means is sin, but he also believes that living at your means is sin. Because right? as Christians, we're supposed to live below our means to, to bless other people. And I'm not talking about tithing. You know, I, I'm talking about just giving to, to help people. You know, well... We as Christians like to... I'm sorry, can I keep going on this? We as Christians, we think preaching at people is enough, as I'm doing that now. No, we think like you go up to somebody on the street, right? And you're like, you want to go to hell? No, well, you got to say this prayer. And we think it's enough. But Jesus, Mariah and I were talking about this, Jesus always met a need. Even before, like, the believe in me thing came. Right? The, the, the guy at the pool, Jesus healed him and didn't say anything else and then he met him he's like hey if you sin it's going to be worse for you right the one with the issue of blood right he he met this physical need first because he showed that he cared and he loved them then he met a spiritual need does that make sense and so you feed somebody and now they're like well why are you doing this well you know what because the love that god showed me I, i love other people because of him Right, These kids that are dying of diarrhea, if you put something together and we send a bunch of people down there and, and, and it's stopping, do you think you have an audience at that point? Well, why are you doing this? You know, Why are you helping all these people? Well, you know what? Because of the love of God. And so many times we want to like just, just like run by preaching. It's like you know, we hand out a track and we think that's enough. Or we, you know, we used to do it all the time when we were younger. It's just like street evangelism. So you walk up to somebody, do you know Jesus? No. Or, you know, you realize you're probably going to go to hell then. Um, yes. Do you want to go to hell? Uh, no. Okay, just say this prayer. And then they don't know anything different, right? The prayer doesn't save people. And so the question is, if Jesus is really the Lord of your life, what impact is it having on your life? 
Are you truly a different person? Are you, more, are you not content with just coming to church on Sunday, but giving of yourself? And it's not a plea just for ministry here. We all should do ministry here. But what about your own personal ministry that we all should have? Your own personal stuff. We think that singing on the choir is ministry and therefore we fulfill it. No, that's just kind of helping the body out. But what about unsaved people? What about people at work that, that maybe something horrible happened to and you say, you know what, let's get a bunch of people just to cook a meal for them and show them love. Let's, you know, it could go on and on and on. But are, are you with me on this? Because so many times we profess Christ, but yet our actions don't show that in, in any way. And I'm guilty of it too. This year I've been very selfish. And I am first to admit it. Okay? Actually, my wife will admit it first about me. But, but this week, we, I, this year, I've just been very selfish. I've been like, we were just strung out just doing a ton of stuff. And now we're like, all right, we're taking the year off. And we had a great year. But now we're both feeling that we need to do more. But we need to do more than just the church. We need to do more than just that. And so Mariah and I are just like, well, how do we, you know, Dennis's stat, pretty crazy. How do we, like, do something about that? Like, what do we do? So, you know, she was online just checking out different things and, and figuring it out. We want to do stuff. And I think a church, a real body of Christ, is not just doing corporate ministry, which is good. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Out, the church outside the wall thing, awesome idea. Do it. But if you're waiting for once a quarter to do something, you are missing the whole thing. What about the personal little thing of like, maybe there's some homeless guy on your way to work and you bring him a sandwich every day that nobody knows about. It's not the whole, look at me, look what I'm doing thing. It's like, hey, here it is. You know what? God loves you. Now preach on him. If he never gets saved, you still love him. You still love that person. We're so quick on, you want Jesus? No? Okay. Hey, next. You know, we go on to the next one. And you're like, fine, burn in hell. I don't care. And, and, and we're, we get that mentality, but... What, what are we doing? Is Jesus Christ really the Lord of my life? And is he the Lord of your life? And how is that impacting people? Or are you sitting here today and you're calling him a liar and a lunatic? Because if you don't call him Lord, you are calling him something else. Absolutely. If you are not saying Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, then you are saying, or Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are saying he is not. Which is a very bad position to be in. Does that make sense? And just by coming to church your whole life, like the Jews, doing the right thing, because that's what you're supposed to do, did not bring them any closer to God. So coming here does not make you a Christian. It does not make you a believer. It doesn't. The question is, does God have your heart entirely? And listen, we're going to mess up. We, we all do. But how do you feel when you mess up after you're done? Is there repentance? And maybe you've been sitting in church your whole life and you've really never made that connection. Maybe you're just like, I believe God, but I just never made that connection. Oh, well, don't you think it's time to do something about that? Absolutely just time to, to surrender our lives to God. Or maybe you, you were five and you remember the time you prayed with your Sunday school teacher. But you kind of got old and crusty in your walk with God and you just go to church. Don't nudge the person next to you. No, um, but, but does that make sense? You're getting old and crusty and the, the relationship is gone and you're just doing out a religious duty like the religious leaders we were talking about. Maybe it's time to renew that. Maybe it's time to be like, you know, again, it's, it's been a long time since I've had this, as Mariah was singing, fan into flame, this passion. It's been a long time since I've had that. God help me. And I'm not saying turning to God makes life better. Sometimes it makes it worse, as we've talked a few weeks ago. But the nice thing is you have this peace when you go through stuff. Honestly, I can go through anything and, and know 
that it hurts and it's sad, but I know that God's there and, and that's the strength that I have. So I'm going to let you guys go. And, uh, you know, this would be the point where you're supposed to do like this altar call, but I'm not doing that because <laughs> it's so easy to work on, work up emotion and do this thing. But I'm going to be here. So if you want to talk, you want to chat, you need prayer. If maybe you're just like, man, I've been coming to church for a long time, but I don't have that relationship with God. And I want it. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But it's not me just praying a prayer with you because the prayer doesn't save you. It's the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And it's more than just saying it. It's the acknowledgement inside. And because of that, action happens. And your life is going to change. It needs to. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for today. I thank you for every person here. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And we acknowledge today, Jesus, that you are the son of God. That you came and you died. And more so than dying, you rose again. As only you can. And God, I pray for every person here, God, that that maybe has grown stale in their relationship with you, that that maybe has grown selfish and and just comes to church and, and it's all about us, God. I pray that you would break that and you would renew a passion in our lives and in our heart. God, I pray that ministry would happen here in this church, but also in our own individual lives, God. There's so many hurting people in this world, dying people that that need love. And Lord, Jesus, as you were the one saying, if you see me, you see the Father, let us be little Christs in this world. That people can look at us and know that we we have flaws, but also see Jesus in us and see the love that you have for them. And God, I pray for that person or persons out here today that have not had that connection with you, that may be just kind of confused about who you are and what's going on, and maybe they're just made to go to church or compelled to go to church, but God, I pray that you would, you would soften their heart and you would reveal your love to that person. Lord, make us the church you want us to be, that we wouldn't just look at ourselves, but Lord, we would truly go outside the walls, that we wouldn't try to build an empire or a kingdom here, but we would build a, a heavenly kingdom. God, we love you. Do your work in our hearts. Make us more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to chat, come on up. We'll talk. And the rest of you have a great day. Go Patriots.